0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show Podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Uh, this is same, shameless self-promotion and plug here. I admit it. I acknowledge it. Um, So, you know, I write my daily email. You can subscribe to it at absolutely no cost. All you have to do is text the word DATA to 33777. But if you text DATA to 33777, you can pay and get a 15% discount. It's 70 bucks a year, but you can get a 15% discount. And the only reason I, I point this out is because of the topic I'm going to talk about. I go very in-depth for my paid subscribers. In the topic I'm about to talk about, the, the rich... Republican donor class, they're beginning to weigh their options for 2024. And I mentioned this the other day and what I intend to tell them because I've i I'm been invited to go to a meeting and weigh in on the landscape moving forward. A lot of Republican donors believe their money has been badly spent. Some of them got no return on their investment and they're deluded into thinking they actually did a good job, but not really. They, they didn't, they wasted their money. Most of them realize uh, that the grifter class within the GOP is kind of out of control right now. And as someone who's been a pretty vocal critic for some time of the, of the grifter class and who has a pretty good um, finger on the pulse of the conservative movement, I've been asked to, come to a, go to a meeting in um, about a month and a half to lay out for the conservative donor class, and the Republican donor class, um, where I think they should go. But part of that has been me talking to them to get their assessment. And they are kind of in line with where I am on this already, but we're going to get in person and talk about this face-to-face. I'll probably be the only person in the meeting to not fly on a private jet. Um, But that's okay. One day I hope to get there. It'll really be probably their handlers when I show up and not actually them. But I want to talk to you about what they're talking about because I've spent a lot of time talking to the donor class. And there there are two, three, I mean, a few groups of people within the GOP. Let's talk about those groups. You have the base, uh, you and me. We're the people who show up and vote. We're the people who through our voting strength can shape the field. And through small dollar donations can help one or two people. You have the consultant class. The consultant class does the mail and the polls and the TV and the radio and and they shape the campaigns and they get really, really rich. And a lot of them are mercenaries. As long as they're getting paid, they don't care. They will adopt the candidate's values. They don't care. Most of these guys are pretty liberal. It's not a coincidence with, for example, the Lincoln Project types. Many of the Lincoln Project types were some of the highest paid consultants in the GOP, and they were pushing a lot of candidates who ran as conservatives to, and when Donald Trump came along and marginalized these people and cut them out of the Republican Party's uh, budget and ability to get money, they revealed themselves to be extremely liberal. These are the people who cost us uh, 2008 by running John McCain and, and 2012 by running Mitt Romney, who were men, whether you liked them or not, they had some convictions. The people around them had none. It was hard to translate uh, convictional candidates when the people doing the translating have no convictions at all. There are the, the politicians within the GOP and the political operators within the GOP, the chiefs of staff and the, and the politicians, the governors, their chiefs of staff, uh, the congressmen, the senators, they all have some persuasion with both the donors and the base. And then there are the donors. The big donors to the GOP. There's uh, Sheldon Adelson's widow, who has largely said she's going to stay out of the primaries. There's Ken Griffin, who is uh, a line behind uh, Ron DeSantis already. There's Peter Singer, who funded the Washington Free Beacon. There's the Dick u Line helped me get the Resurgent off the ground a number of years ago a wonderful man, uh, there, there are a lot of big donors. You've got the DeVos family, Eric Prince. You, you've got a lot of big Republican donors out there. And there, a lot of the donors, not all of the donors, but a lot of them do like to have their ego stroked. They, they like to have access. They believe their money gives them access. Some of the donors on the right are in bubbles. They work very hard to get themselves out of the bubble, some. Some of them are so into the bubbles they don't even realize they're in a bubble. And they write big checks. And while you and I as small dollar donors who maybe can give a hundred, maybe 500 bucks to a candidate if we're lucky, can help one or two candidates rise independent of the donor class, the donor class can help other candidates through super PAC creation and other things get disproportionate airtime, attack other people. Donald Trump was a grassroots candidate. The the grassroots, the base, they funded Trump's candidacy. While the donors were pouring money into Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz and John Kasich and the like, Trump got the base and with the donor spread among 17 candidates, that 18th candidate could, with the donor money and his personal charisma, rise to the top. Rick Santorum was a base driven candidate uh, when he won Iowa against Mitt Romney. Uh, Rick Santorum, uh, captured the hearts and minds of the Republican conservative base and the evangelical community largely went in lockstep to Rick Santorum and they were able to provide him the money necessary to get a win in Iowa over Mitt Romney, just like uh, Mike Huckabee had done in 2008. It was conservative evangelical base voters, not the millionaires and the billionaires, but the base voters. But the millionaires and the billionaires are, are very influential. If the base is very divided, they, through their consolidation, can can help candidates. So, the basics of what I've been told. If you want all the the depth, uh, again, text data to three three seven seven seven. You can you can see it. Let me let me give you the the overview here of what I've been talking to these people in the run up to this conference or gathering. It's not really even a conference or gathering. It, it's just a meeting uh, where they've asked me to come into the room and kind of talk to them after having talked to them individually, help them kind of flesh out uh, their their view of things. And there are. Glenn Youngkin donors, there are Ron DeSantis donors, there are Mike Pence donors, there are people who are looking for alternatives to all of the above, Uh, there are people who dearly love Tim Scott, they're just not sure he's going to run. My sense of things is, much as press reports have said, it's true that most of the money that will flow into the Republican Party for 2024, and by the way, you think it's too early to talk about that, the money's going to start flowing this summer the first debates will be this fall. That's right. We are less than a year from the first presidential debates for the GOP and probably for the Democrats too because I don't think Biden is ultimately going to do it. My sense of things from talking to donors is that a lot of them have put their money on hold. They are waiting to see what Ron DeSantis does. Even the ones who don't expect to support Ron DeSantis. I was talking to one donor who is all in for Glenn Youngkin. He thinks that Uh, given the left-wing attitudes on abortion and the way it's rallied people that uh, abortion is a very hot-button issue. Therefore, cultural issues are hot-button issues. Therefore, DeSantis probably isn't the best candidate. Uh, Therefore, go with someone like Youngkin, who touched on the school issues, uh, but is otherwise a fiscal conservative, a good steward. He checks boxes for pro-lifers without it being his defining issue, and this donor is ready to go with Youngkin. Doesn't need DeSantis to say whether he's running or not. Then there are Mike Pence donors, Mike Pence being the former vice president. Mike Pence has a segment, particularly within the evangelical community, of donors who are ready to jump in and they don't care about DeSantis. I suspect Youngkin and Pence, more than any other candidate, have enough independent top-dollar donor Connections. They don't have to worry about what DeSantis does or doesn't do. The funny thing in all the conversations is no one was wondering what does Trump do or not do. It's all about DeSantis. DeSantis and Pence to a degree and Trump to a degree cause problems for Mike Pompeo. Mike Pompeo is the former uh, intelligence director, CIA chief, uh, secretary of state. Uh, Pompeo has CAVPAC. Uh, uh, what is it? Um Oh, oh, what does CAVPAC stand for? Part of it is a play on words for uh, cavalry. Not Calvary, but uh, cavalry. And then part of it is champion American values. Calvary, or not Calvary, cavalry. It's not about Jesus. It's about the military. Cavalry, champion American values, CAVPAC. He raised over $3 million. He spent $2.2 million this past election cycle helping Republicans around the country, spreading his money around. But if he runs, he's going to be seen as a foreign policy candidate, which isn't bad, but also as someone from the Trump administration, which is a weird position to be in when the Trump administration's vice president runs and Trump himself runs. Nikki Haley is another one who donors are intrigued by, but kind of parking money right now. Some have already given her money. Uh, She's got a super PAC, a leadership group that she started. She's been out there pretty aggressively. But if she runs, she was the UN uh, ambassador, and Mike Pompeo was the secretary of state. Why her, not him? Well, she's got executive credentials as well. She was a very good governor in South Carolina. Served a term and a half before being brought into the Trump administration. She's a very good, she's a personal friend. You should know. I'm biased towards Nikki Haley. But if she runs, she's got to deal with the Pompeo factor and the Pence factor and the Trump factor being from the Trump administration. And then if she runs and Tim Scott runs, it's two people from South Carolina running. Christy Nome is the governor of South Dakota. When Christy Nome was in the... House representative, she's a pretty moderate, Not never rocked the boat. If leadership wanted her vote, they had her vote, and now she's running as governor of South, of South Dakota as a kind of conservative firebrand, except there have been a series of, of uh, trip-ups in her administration on transgender issues. The major healthcare conglomerate in South Dakota that has given her and her outside groups a lot of money is very pro-transgenderism, and she vetoed a sports ban uh, for transgender athletes in South Dakota and then kind of flailed about defending the ban, finally found her footing on it. And she, by the way, is the only one who's been attacking Ron DeSantis. Her campaign team, her staff, they've been attacking Ron DeSantis. They're attacking him for not doing more than a 15-week abortion ban in Florida. That its It's not pure enough. She doesn't want to Transgender sports ban, but she does want an abortion ban. Actually, even some of the conservative donors after this cycle are like, yeah. She very much reminds some of them, and I had totally forgotten about this. When Mike Pence was governor of Indiana, he vetoed RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. He was going to sign it, and then the Chamber of Commerce went nuts on him and he vetoed it. And conservative evangelical donors felt betrayed, and they all feel like that about Christine Nome. Then there's Tim Scott. Everybody likes him. Everybody, I like Tim Scott. Tim Scott's awesome. He's going to be at my conference in August. Does he run, though? Nobody knows whether he's going to run or not. And there are lots of people who are like, ah, DeSantis' Scott ticket would hit it out of the park. And I'm like, yes, a Scott anybody ticket would hit it out of the park. Put him first, too. He's got a compelling story. All of these people are waiting for DeSantis. You'll notice I haven't really brought up Trump. None of them care what he does. None of them think he can go the distance without their money. And they don't want to give it to him, but almost to a person they're of this thinking that if Ron DeSantis runs, he can beat Biden and Trump can't. If Trump and DeSantis run in a small field of people, then Trump was going to have to use his money and the small dollar donor money that is now split among him and people like DeSantis. So he's not going to get as much of it. Him attacking DeSantis makes DeSantis seem reasonable. So having Trump in the race actually helps DeSantis because Trump's gonna have to spend his own money, which he's loath to do. The donors can set up super PACs to have DeSantis's back, and DeSantis seems savvy enough not to take the bait when Trump attacks him. There's a lot to be said that. Evangelical donors that I talked to, they're split between Pence and DeSantis. There's, they kind of are now at the point of realizing and recognizing and admitting their love of Trump was very transactional. They got the end of row with Trump, but now, I mean, uniformly, they kind of say, I would love to have Trump, but someone other than Trump. His policies, his vision, but not him. And they look at DeSantis, and they look at Pence, and they're like, these two, Pence is one of them. They, they have no doubt. He's got Chip Salzman working with him. He worked with Mike Huckabee, and they're intrigued by him. But what's fascinating about all of these conversations with the donors is it boils down to this, very few of the ones that I told there are some, but the vast minority, the smallest minority are in it for Trump. Almost every single one of them now is like, it's time to move on. How do we move on? And what does DeSantis do? These donors, the Republican donors, really are waiting for DeSantis to make his next move before they decide. Even the ones who don't support him, the ones who are going for Youngkin, the ones who are going for Pence, they want to see DeSantis's moves before they start writing their checks. Not since George W. Bush ran for president in 2000 has one man been able to hold up the donor decision-making That's Ron DeSantis now, not Donald Trump. And that in and of itself is a fascinating tell for where this is headed in 2024. The weather outside might be frightful, but in your bed, you've got super soft bowl and branch sheets to sleep under. They'll keep you comfortable. They're just the perfect weight. Summer, winter, fall, spring, the perfect weight, and they get softer every wash. And right now, with the weather so cold outside, you want to just be snuggled up inside. They're the perfect sheets under which you and your loved one can snuggle. And right now, you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L. ANDBRANCH.com. The promo code is ERIC, E R I C K. Bull and Branch sheets are the perfect 100% organic cotton threads. That gets softer every wash. Not only do they get softer every wash, but they the drape across your body is just perfect. I really enjoy mine. We've got them now on multiple beds in the house. We've just kept buying them because they're so soft. And every wash, they get softer. And right now, get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code ERIC. Uh, somebody just sent me... This video, some crazy person on Concourse D at the Atlanta airport just starts spraying the fire extinguisher. They got to rush and close the door, gosh, because they're afraid she's headed on. Nope, she just grabs the fire extinguisher and just starts walking down the concourse, spraying the fire extinguisher. People are like, what on earth? Meanwhile, the um the Delta employees are rushing to close open doors that are headed out to planes and the you know the what do they call them? the the jetways, the human tunnels that you go through. Um my gosh. And of course this woman looks like an insane person to begin with. Uh she's got like uh I mean, goodness gracious, just kind of a crazy person. Kind of a crazy person. Got it got her fire extinguisher in her hand and Wow. Wow. Another exciting day at the airport. <laughs> we had a caller. She couldn't stay on, it seems. Couldn't control herself. She she believes that um, capitalism has been bad for America and something about uh, currency and its roots in racism. This reminds me, I want to play you some audio here. This is the, we made sure this is safe. This is a TikToker. Yes, yes. Uh, TikTok, again has become the place that, that the Chinese have encouraged Americans with mental health problems to go. I want you to listen to this. You're going to hear a white guy and then hear a black lady talk. Can we stop like normalizing people being late? Like it's not cute. It's not funny. It's not a. When y- okay. You got that. That's, that's the white guy. Can we stop normalizing people being late? It's not cute. It's not funny. Now, the lady responding. When y'all are ready to learn about the connections between this, this, and the white American cultural norm with obsessing over being on time, please let me know. Please. Because as someone who is black, queer, has ADHD, and studies African American history and culture, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. It's going to be so much fun. But, you know, until then, we could just keep acting like that's a completely harmless opinion that has no historical context whatsoever. Okay, so we have black lady on Instagram, or on TikTok, rather, who responds to a white guy saying, can we stop normalizing um, being late? And because she has ADHD... Because she is an African American studies history person, uh, because of her intersectionality list, she can assure you that your desire to have people be on time is because of white supremacy and the patriarchy or some, or some such. That's right. Uh, the, the, that is this woman's view. This and the white American cultural norm with obsessing over being on time. Please let me know, please. The because white as someone who is cultural black, norm queer, has ADHD. Black queer has and studies African American history and culture. And studies African American culture. Ah, uh, yes, because of who she is. Notice how her her credentials, her credentials to prove she knows what she's doing is she's black queer has ADHD. And is studying African-American studies so that she can never get an actual job outside the grievance industry. And her grievance is that um, it is white patriarchy and systemic racism to believe that uh, being on time is a good thing. Essentially, what this woman is arguing is that bad manners are endemic of non-white society and that good manners are a white thing. Because being on time is good manners, and that doesn't have anything to do with me being a white person. It is a cultural norm around the world. I don't know that this woman has studied Asian culture, uh, but it's an offense in Asian culture to not be on time. I grew up in the Middle East, I can assure you. Uh, in Dubai, growing up, uh, you were expected to be on time even when you were surrounded by Muslims. Being on time is a sign that you're a person of some responsible nature. And we're turning this grievance society nonsense into I'm going to scream about white patriarchy. This goes to what I was talking about earlier. They would rather concoct mythologies than deal with the fact that they are deeply bad people. They would rather concoct mythologies than deal with their failures. I dare this woman to go get a job and show up 30 minutes late for the job interview and tell them, well, uh, being on time, that's the white patriarchy. I'm queer with ADHD, black, and attended African-American studies, and I know you can't expect me to be on time for the job interview. Yeah, actually, you can. It's really kind of amazing that this is where we are as a society. That the cranks and the crazies have normalized themselves on places like TikTok. And they would have you believe that up is down and down is up. They would have you believe that right is wrong and wrong is right. That good is evil and evil is good. And you will be made to care, you will be bullied. Uh, This is a perfect segue into a topic I was going to put off till later, but let me talk about this. We have the um, hockey player, Ivan Provorov. Ivan Provorov is with the Flyers. He did not wear a rainbow jersey for warm-ups during Pride Night. You got that? Ivan Provorov of the Flyers, the hockey team, chose not to wear a rainbow jersey for Pride Night during warmups, And that's all the press wanted to ask him about. This is his interaction. Uh, let me rearrange my speaker so you can hear it. Here we go. Ivan Provorov. Everybody, and I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. Any, uh, like I said, that's all I'm going to comment on that. Um, if you have any hockey questions, I would like, I would answer those. To his credit, uh, his coach is standing by him. Uh, John uh, Tortorella is the Flyers head coach. John, turning away from the game for a second. Um, Ivan Provaroff wasn't in warm-ups before the game. Um, there was a report that he wasn't in warm-ups because he didn't want to wear the, the Pride jersey for Pride night. Do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I, I think the organization has sent out a release regarding the organization, the, the beliefs that we have uh, and how we feel about it. And really a great night um, with Provy, uh, uh, he He's being true to himself and to his religion. This has to do with his belief in his religion. And it's one thing I respect about Provi. He's always true to himself. Uh, and so that's that's where we're at with that. They're attacking the coach for defending the player. The Flyers, by the way, won the game five to two against the Ducks, uh, but they can't help themselves. Even an ESPN writer is out attacking the guy. Ivan Provi is more than happy to play pre-game dress-up when it does align with his belief system. And do you know what this writer is attacking him for having worn when he won't wear the Pride jersey? The military appreciation. Jersey. So because he wore the military appreciation Jersey, he should have to wear the pride Jersey. You will be made to care. They are trying to make this guy care. He didn't want to talk about it. He just didn't wear it. And they're offended because he would wear a military appreciation one and not this one. Well, he must hate gay people. That's, that's immediately they jump how disrespectful of him to the gay community to not wear the Jersey that celebrates pride night. What about your bigotry towards him as a Christian? He's an Orthodox Christian. Eastern European, probably with with Ivan, uh, probably Russian. I don't know. I don't know the guy. Uh, My guess is, I mean, he's an Orthodox, not not Orthodox as in the Orthodox sense. He is Eastern uh, Russian Orthodox. Yes, Russian hockey player, Ivan Vladimirovich uh, Povarov. Provi they call him. And it's all over the news. ESPN has a story on it. Uh, Yahoo Sports has a story on it. Uh, The Defector has a story on it, attacking the coach. This is the defector, a, a uh, gossip website. Its actual headline: "John Tortorella, the coach, stands behind Ivan Provorov's homophobic refusal to wear the Pride jersey." Written by some girl. Absolutely silly that but I mean this is this is where we are as a society you must be made to care and you will perform as the left wants you to and it is a, a ritual it is a right it is part of a religious performance you will give tithes to Planned Parenthood and to woke politicians and causes you will support Black Lives Matters you will put the sign in your window or the windows will get smashed it's like the coming of the angel of the Lord in, in exodus uh, instead of smearing blood over the, the threshold of your door, you put the Black Lives Matter sign in your window so the rioters don't come and smash your window. You wear the pride jersey. Doesn't matter whether you you hate gay people or not. Think about this. This is not a state of mind, convictional thing. This is a performance. This is a display. And by putting it on, you are protected from the mob. By putting the jersey on, you're protected from the mob. It doesn't matter. You may hate gay people, you may want to wish them malice and harm, but you put on the jersey and it doesn't matter. Everything's okay. This guy may give money to gay rights causes. He may give uh, money to support the gay community, but he didn't put the jersey on. Therefore, he's a hater. They, they don't know. They don't know his state of mind, but it's presumed to be he's a hater because he didn't wear a jersey. It's the performance that matters, not the state of mind. It's a works-based religion, is it not? With God, it's your heart. It's your heart. With the left, it's your performance. If you do all the right things, say all the right things, perform in the way they demand you perform, you're good. Doesn't matter what your heart is. Doesn't matter what you actually think. As long as you perform, you're okay. It is a workspace religion from secularism. Secularism is a workspace religion. And yes, secularism is a religion. We are seeing it take shape in real time in this world. And the heretics and the apostates have to be uh, purged and punished and silenced and censored. You got to be driven out of the town square. If you don't believe what they believe, Uh, burned at the stake as a witch. If you do something they disagree with, if you have unorthodox views, that is, you actually believe the science, you're a heretic or an apostate or a witch, you got to be burned at the stake. If you're a sports player, you are expected to perform the rite and the ritual and the ceremony of wearing the jersey, or else you will be excoriated and vilified, and anyone who defends you will be excoriated and vilified because you didn't want to wear a shirt with rainbows. It is a works-based performance religion, and you will be made to care. This poor player, Provy, will be bullied by the press. But you know, the funny thing is he's not talking about it, neither is the team. They've moved on. So what's going to happen is they've learned to play the Wokes. You just move on. You don't play their game. You just move on. And all the Wokes can do is scream, and they make themselves a little bit sillier. This ESPN reporter, it was a reminder of how woke ESPN has become. The ESPN reporter is attacking Provy for wearing a military appreciation jersey, but not a gay rights jersey. Clearly, he appreciates the warmongers, not the LGBTQ plus AAITPPA alphabet gang community. And of course, some of them were like, well, of course, he's Russian. He shouldn't be playing anyway because I bet he likes Vladimir Putin. Talk about bigotry, bigotry on display. These are the haters. Haters in a religion that makes you care through performance and stunt and antic, and it doesn't matter what you actually believe behind the scenes. It's always kind of funny to me. Remember Harvey Weinstein? All the women start coming out, all the awful things about Harvey Weinstein. What did Harvey Weinstein do? The thing that had given him a pass in the past. He immediately ran out and said, well, I'm going to write a big check to the anti-gun community, and I'm going to dedicate my life to fighting guns. And for the first time in forever, it didn't work for him because he didn't do it quick enough. But it's that level of performance and that level of tithing and, and that level of giving from the left that typically buys you past. Harvey Weinstein knew it didn't work for him that one time, but it had worked for him every other time. And if this guy were to come out tomorrow and write a big check to, to some gay rights group, the, the controversy would go away. It's all about the shakedown and the performance. That's, that's all it is. Kudos to Provi and to the Flyers and to the coach for refusing to play the game of the wokes and for moving on and making it about the game. But what is notable is how many sports writers, particularly from ESPN, are in on the wokeness and trying to ruin this kid for refusing to engage in the sacramental performance they demanded of him as part of their religion. Now, there's just no good way to transition into that other than cleaning the air by talking about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. You can buy three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. If you go to EdenPureDeals.com, you'll be greeted with a discount code box. And what you do is you put in Eric3, E R I C K 3 the number three, no space. That's the number you put in and the codes you put in and you get a great discount. You get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $300. Normally, each of them would be about $200. You get three of them for less than $200. You're saving uh, money, about $200, and you get free shipping, and you wipe out odors in your house. If you don't know, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, it's an air purifier. It gets rid of the dust and the pollen, but really, it wipes out odors. It wipes out smoke odors. It wipes out litter box odors, pet odors cooking odors, musty odors, you name it. Um, you got a smoky house, uh, your your fireplace, the wind blew down it and, and sent the soot into the house and it smells. You got people frying shrimp in the house, whatever. You use the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, it wipes out the odors. If you got an RV, you want one of these for your RV. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. Get three of them for less than $200. I want you people to know something first, that this hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. And if you are in charge of the finances of a business, you know, I'm actually going to make this a little longer than, than what it should be because uh, I, I love the Frost family. They're in Noonan, in Georgia. But I want you to hear me nationwide uh, with the economic turmoil that's out there right now. Are you really tired? I am personally tired of going to a bank where they don't know my name and I've done business with them for a long time, or they're closing the branches that are close to me, or I go and and get to know one of the guys who's there and and then start going and, and he's gone. Was going to my local bank, and, and now the local banker that I used and, and liked and had a relationship with, he's, he's now gone to uh, Synovus from the bank I was using. And I just, it, it aggravates me. And then they act like they don't know you when you want to loan. Why don't you build a financial relationship for your business with a company that was like cheers? They want to know your name, they, they, you want to know their name, the Frost family. What you do is go to firstlibertyga.com, spend 10 minutes with them. They're not a good fit for every business, but if you're buying a building or you're building a building or you're expanding a franchise, buying a franchise, buying out your competitors, buying out your business partner, stuff like that, $750,000 deals and higher, reach out to the Frost family because they're not going to change. They've been doing this since the 90s. FirstLibertyGA.com. I have to say, I I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here now. Because that just, in fact, I'm going to skip everything I was just about to talk about and just tell you, it is a major source of frustration with me and banks these days. My wife and I, we use a Bank of America, and she's had this account since she was a kid. We don't have any Bank of America branches around us anymore. You do everything through uh, the ATM. Uh, it's, it's, It's infuriating they've just given up on local branches. And then I was going to the local branch for the bank that I had decided to start using for all my business stuff. Their online for the reason that I like bank of America, honestly, and don't want to change is their online bill payment system. We've used it for years. I, I don't even get bills at the house anymore. They're just set to pay and, and they get paid and, and their, their online system is great. And the bank that I've been using lately, um, it, it, it just, it, their online system is crap. It's just crap. And I go over to the bank when I need something notarized and it's a different person every time. And they finally had a branch manager who was there like all the time, knew what I needed. If I needed to make an in-person deposit or or needed to wire money or anything, he was always there. He was ready to go. He knew who I was. Now he's gone to Synovus. And it, it, I just, oh, it just local banking drives me crazy. Uh, the disruption, the lack of branches, the branches that are there tend to be understaffed. They want you to use the ATM. I've got an online uh, account with Ally Bank, and it's, it's not bad except, like, I'll, like, do a trade, like, pay a credit card or something through the bank, and it takes, like, five, four, five days for it to show up. And I'm like, did it go through? Did I actually remember to do it? What did I do? Just uh, why are banks such garbage these days? If I could get, like, Bank of America without the wokeness and, like, without the with an actual local branch that doesn't change all the time? Gosh, banking like you used to. My parents went to the same bank forever, and they knew all the people there were kin to half of them and used the bank forever. Nowadays, like, your bank changes names 30 days later. It's just, ah, banking in the 21st century kind of sucks, doesn't it? Maybe that old glory place will start up and actually be decent, and I don't even need a branch. Just give me a bank that doesn't change its name every five weeks and has decent online processing of stuff.